Chapter Twenty Three, Part Two of *The Woman in the Alcove* by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Great Mogul, Part Two. Sears had caught a glimpse of Fairbrother on the platform, and was careful to keep out of his sight. This was easy enough. He bought a compartment in the sleeper and stayed in it till they arrived at the Grand Central Station. Then he hastened out and, fortune favoring him with another glimpse of the man in whose movements he was so interested, followed him into the streets. Fairbrother had shaved off his beard before leaving El Moro. Sears had shaved his off on the train. Both were changed, the former the more, owning to a peculiarity of his mouth which up till now he had always thought best to cover sears therefore walked behind him without fear and was almost at his heels when this owner of one of new york's most notable mansions entered with a spruce air the doors of a prominent caterer understanding the plot now and having everything to fear for his mistress he walked the streets for some hours in a state of great indecision then he went up to her apartment but he had no sooner come within sight of it than a sense of disloyalty struck him and he slunk away only to come sidling back when it was too late and she had started for the ball trembling with apprehension but still strangely divided in his impulses wishing to serve master and mistress both without disloyalty to the one or injury to the other he hesitated and argued with himself till his fears for the latter drove him to mr ramsdell's house the night was a stormy one the heaviest snow of the season was falling with a high gale blowing down the sound as he approached the house which as we know is one of the modern ones in the riverside district he felt his heart fail him but as he came nearer and got the full effect of glancing lights seductive music and the cheery bustle of crowding carriages he saw in his mind's eye such a picture of his beautiful mistress threatened unknown to herself in a quarter she little realized that he lost all sense of what had hitherto deterred him making then and there his great choice he looked about for the entrance with the full intention of seeing and warning her but this he presently perceived was totally impractical he could neither go to her nor expect her to come to him meanwhile time was passing and if his master was there the thought made his head dizzy and situated as he was among the carriages he might have been run over in his confusion if his eyes had not suddenly fallen on a lighted window the shade of which had been inadvertently lifted up within this window which was only a few feet above his head stood the glowing image of a woman clad in pink and sparkling with jewels her face was turned from him but he recognized her splendor as that of the one woman who could never be too gorgeous for his taste and alive to this unexpected opportunity he made for the window with the intention of shouting up to her and so attracting her attention but this proved futile and driven at last to the end of his resources he tore out a slip of paper from his notebook 
and in the dark and with the blinding snow in his eyes he wrote the few broken sentences which he thought would best warn her without compromising his master the means he took to reach her with this note i have already related as soon as he saw it in her hands he fled the place and took the first train west he was in a pitiable condition when three days later he reached the small station from which he had originally set out the haste the exposure the horror of the crime he had failed to avert had undermined his hitherto excellent constitution and the symptoms of a serious illness were beginning to make themselves manifest but he like his indomitable master possessed a great fund of energy and will-power he saw that if he was to save abner fairbrother and now that mrs fairbrother was dead his old master was all the world to him he must make fairbrother's alibi good by carrying on the deception as planned by the latter and getting as soon as possible to his camp in the new mexico mountains he knew that he would have the strength to do this and he went about it without sparing himself making his way into the mountains he found the guide and his horse at the place agreed upon and paying the guide enough for his services to ensure a quiet tongue rode back to el moro where he was met and sent on to santa fe as already related such is the real explanation of the well-nigh unintelligible scrawl found in mrs fairbrother's hand after her death as to the one which left miss gray's bedside for this same house it was alike in the writing and sending the loving freak of a very sick but tender-hearted girl she had noted the look with which mr gray had left her and in her delirious state thought that a line in her own hand would convince him of her good condition and make it possible for him to enjoy the evening she was however too much afraid of her nurse to write it openly and though we never found that scrawl it was doubtless not very different in appearance from the one which i had confounded it the man to whom it was entrusted stopped for too many warming drinks on his way for it ever to reach mr ramsdell's house he did not even return home that night and when he did put in an appearance the next morning he was dismissed this takes me back to the ball and mrs fairbrother she had never had much fear for her husband till she received his old servant's note in the peculiar manner already mentioned this coming through the night and the wet and with all the marks of hurry upon it did impress her greatly and led her to take the first means which offered of ridding herself of her dangerous ornament the story of this we know meanwhile a burning heart and a scheming brain were keeping up their deadly work a few paces off under the impassive aspect and active movements of the caterer's newly hired waiter abner fairbrother whose real character no one had ever been able to sound unless it was the man who had known him in the days of his struggle was one of those dangerous men who can conceal under a still brow and a noiseless manner the most violent passions and the most desperate resolves he was angry with his wife who was deliberately jeopardizing his good name and he had come there to kill her if he found her flaunting the diamond in mr gray's eyes 
and though no one could have detected any change in his look and manner as he passed through the room where these two were standing the doom of that fair woman was struck when he saw the eager scrutiny and indescribable air of recognition with which this long defrauded gentleman eyed his own diamond he had meant to attack her openly seize the diamond fling it at mr gray's feet and then kill himself that had been his plan but when he found after a round or two among the guests that nobody looked at him and nobody recognized the well-known millionaire in the automaton-like figure with the formally arranged whiskers and sleekly combed hair colder purposes intervened and he asked himself if it would not be possible to come upon her alone strike his blow possess himself of the diamond and make for parts unknown before his identity could be discovered he loved life even without the charm cast over it by this woman its struggles and its hard-bought luxuries fascinated him if mr gray suspected him why mr gray was english and he a resourceful american if it came to an issue the subtle american would win if mr gray were not able to point to the flaw which marked this diamond as his own and this fairbrother had provided against and would succeed in if he could hold his passions in check and be ready with all his wit when matters reached a climax such were the thoughts and such the plans of the quiet attentive man who with his tray laden with coffees and ices came and went an unnoticed unit among twenty other units similarly quiet and similarly attentive he waited on lady after lady and when on the reissuing of mr durand from the alcove he passed in there with his tray and his two cups of coffee nobody heeded and nobody remembered it was all over in a minute and he came out still unnoted and went to the supper-room for more cups of coffee but that minute had set its seal on his heart for ever she was sitting there alone with her side to the entrance so that he had to pass around in order to face her her elegance and a certain air she had of remoteness from the scene of which she was the glowing centre when she smiled awed him and made his hand loosen a little on the slender stiletto he held against the bottom of the tray but such resolution does not easily yield and his fingers soon tightened again this time with a deadly grip he had expected to meet the flash of the diamond as he bent over her and dreaded doing so for fear it would attract his eye from her face and so cost him the sight of that startled recognition which would give the desired point of his revenge but the tray as he held it shielded her breast from view and when he lowered it to strike his blow he thought of nothing but aiming so truly as to need no second blow he had had his experience in those old years in a mining camp and he did not fear failure in this what he did fear was her utterance of some cry possibly his name but she was stunned with horror and did not shriek horror of him whose eyes she met with her glassy and staring ones as he slowly drew forth the weapon 
why he drew it forth instead of leaving it in her breast he could not say possibly because it gave him his moment of gloating revenge when in another instant her hands flew up and the tray tipped and the china fell the revulsion came and his eyes opened to two facts the instrument of death was still in his grasp and the diamond on whose possession he counted was gone from his wife's breast it was a horrible moment voices could be heard approaching the alcove laughing voices that in an instant would take on the note of horror and the music ah how low it had sunk as if to give place to the dying murmur he now heard issuing from her lips but he was a man of iron thrusting the stiletto into the first place that offered he drew the curtains over the staring windows then slid out with his tray calm speckless and attentive as ever dead to thought dead to feeling but aware quite aware in the secret depths of his being that something besides his wife had been killed that night and that sleep and peace of mind and all pleasure in the past were gone for ever it was not he i saw enter the alcove and come out with news of crime he left this role to one whose antecedents could better bear investigation his part was to play with just the proper display of horror and curiosity the ordinary menial brought face to face with a crime in high life he could do this he could even sustain his share in the gossip and for this purpose kept near the other waiters the absence of the diamond was all that troubled him that brought him at times to the point of vertigo had mr gray recognized and claimed it if so he abner fairbrother must remain james wellgood the waiter indefinitely this would require more belief in his star than he had had yet but as the moments passed and no contradiction was given to the universally received impression that the same hand which had struck the blow had taken the diamond even this cause of anxiety left his breast and he faced people with more and more courage till the moment when he suddenly heard that the diamond had been found in the possession of a man perfectly strange to him and saw the inspector pass it over into the hands of mr gray instantly he realized that the crisis of his fate was on him if mr gray were given time to identify this stone he abner fairbrother was lost and the diamond as well could he prevent this there was but one way and that way he took making use of his ventriloquial powers he had spent a year on the public stage in those early days playing just such tricks as these he raised the one cry which he knew would startle mr gray more than any other in the world and when the diamond fell from his hand as he knew it would he rushed forward and in the act of picking it up made that exchange which not only baffled the suspicions of the statesman but restored to him the diamond for whose possession he was now ready to barter half his remaining days meanwhile mr gray had had his own anxieties 
during the whole long evening he had been sustained by the conviction that the diamond of which he had caught but one passing glimpse was the great mogul of his once famous collection so sure was he of this that at one moment he found himself tempted to enter the alcove demand a closer sight of the diamond and settle the question then and there he even went so far as to take in his hands the two cups of coffee which should serve as his excuse for this intrusion but his naturally chivalrous instincts again intervened and he set the cups down this i did not see and turned his steps toward the library with the intention of writing her a note instead but though he found paper and pen to hand he could find no words for so daring a request and he came back into the hall only to hear that the woman he had contemplated addressing had just been murdered and her great jewel stolen the shock was too much and as there was no leaving the house then he retreated again to the library where he devoured his anxieties in silence till hope revived again at the sight of the diamond in the inspector's hand only to vanish under the machinations of one he did not even recognize when he took the false jewel from his hand the american had outwitted the englishman and the triumph of evil was complete or so it seemed but if the englishman is slow he is sure thrown off the track for the time being mr gray had only to see a picture of the stiletto in the papers to feel again that despite all appearances fairbrother was really not only at the bottom of the thefts from which his cousin and himself had suffered but of this frightful murder as well he made no open move he was a stranger in a strange land and much disturbed besides by his fears for his daughter but he started a secret inquiry through his old valet whom he ran across in the street and whose peculiar adaptability for this kind of work he well knew the aim of these inquiries was to determine if the person whom two physicians and three assistants were endeavouring to nurse back to health on the top of a wild plateau in a remote district of new mexico was the man he had once entertained at his own board in england and the adventures thus incurred would make a story in itself but the result seemed to justify them word came after innumerable delays very trying to mr gray that he was not the same though he bore the name of fairbrother and was considered by everyone around there to be fairbrother mr gray ignorant of the relations between the millionaire master and his man which sometimes led to the latter's personifying the former was confident of his own mistake and bitterly ashamed of his own suspicions but a second message sent him right a deception was being practised down in new mexico and this was how his spy had found it out certain letters which went into the sick tent were sent away again and always to one address he had learned the address it was that of james wellgood c maine if mr gray would look up this wellgood he would doubtless learn something of the man he was so interested in this gave mr gray personally something to do 
for he would trust no second party with a message involving the honor of a possibly innocent man as the place was accessible by railroad and his duty clear he took the journey involved and succeeded in getting a glimpse in the manner we know of the man james wellgood this time he recognized fairbrother and satisfied from the circumstances of the moment that he would be making no mistake in accusing him of having taken the great mogul he intercepted him in his flight as you have already read and demanded the immediate return of his great diamond and fairbrother we shall have to go back a little to bring his history up to this critical instant when he realized the trend of public opinion when he saw a perfectly innocent man committed to the tombs for his crime he was first astonished and then amused at what he continued to regard as the triumph of his star but he did not start for el moro wise as he felt it would be to do so something of the fascination usual with criminals kept him near the scene of his crime that and in anxiety to see how sears would conduct himself in the southwest that sears had followed him to new york knew his crime and was the strongest witness against him was as far from his thoughts as that he owed him the warning which had all but balked him of his revenge when therefore he read in the papers that abner fairbrother had been found sick in his camp at santa fe he felt that nothing now stood in the way of his entering on the plans he had framed for ultimate escape on his departure from el moro he had taken the precaution of giving sears the name of a certain small town on the coast of maine where his mail was to be sent in case of a great emergency he had chosen this town for two reasons first because he knew all about it having had a young man from there in his employ secondly because of its neighborhood to the inlet where an old launch of his had been docked for the winter always astute always precautionary he had given orders to have this launch floated and provisioned so that now he had only to send word to the captain to have at his command the best possible means of escape meanwhile he must make good his position in sea he did it in the way we know satisfied that the only danger he need fear was the discovery of the fraud practised in new mexico he had confidence enough in sears even in his present disabled state to take his time and make himself solid with the people of sea while waiting for the ice to disappear from the harbor this accomplished and cruising made possible he took a flying trip to new york to secure such papers and valuables as he wished to carry out of the country with him they were in a safe deposit but that safe deposit was in his strong room in the centre of his house in eighty-sixth street a room which you will remember in connection with sweetwater's adventure to enter his own door with his own latch-key in the security and darkness of a stormy night seemed to this self-confident man a matter of no great risk nor did he find it so he reached his strong room procured his securities and was leaving the house without having suffered an alarm when some instinct of self-preservation suggested to him the advisability of arming himself with a pistol 
his own was in maine but he remembered where sears kept his he had seen it often enough in that old trunk he had brought with him from the sierras he accordingly went upstairs to the steward's room found the pistol and became from that instant invincible but in restoring the articles he had pulled out he came across a photograph of his wife and lost himself over it and went mad as we have heard the detective tell that later he should succeed in trapping this detective and should leave the house without a qualm as to his fate shows what sort of man he was in moments of extreme danger i doubt from what i have heard of him since if he ever gave two thoughts to the man after he had sprung the double lock on him which considering his extreme ignorance of whom his victim was or what relation he bore to his own fate was certainly remarkable back again in c he made his final preparations for departure he had already communicated with the captain of the launch who may or may not have known his passenger's real name he says that he supposed him to be some agent of mr fairbrother's that among the first orders he received from that gentleman was one to the effect that he was to follow the instructions of one wellgood as if they came from himself that he had done so and not till he had mr fairbrother on board had he known whom he was expected to carry into other waters however there are many who do not believe the captain fairbrother had a genius for rousing devotion in the men who worked for him and probably this man was another sears to leave speculation all was in train then and freedom but a quarter of a mile away when the boat he was in was stopped by another and he heard mr gray's voice demanding the jewel the shock was severe and he had need of all the nerve which had hitherto made his career so prosperous to sustain the encounter with the calmness which alone could carry off the situation declaring that the diamond was in new york he promised to restore it if the other would make the sacrifice worth while by continuing to preserve his hitherto admirable silence concerning him mr gray responded by granting him just twenty-four hours and when fairbrother said the time was not long enough and allowed his hand to steal ominously to his breast he repeated still more decisively twenty-four hours the ex-miner honored bravery withdrawing his hand from his breast he brought out a notebook instead of a pistol and in a tone fully as determined replied the diamond is in a place inaccessible to anyone but myself if you will put your name to a promise not to betray me for the thirty-six hours i ask i will sign one to restore you the diamond before one thirty o'clock on friday i will said mr gray so the promises were written and duly exchanged mr gray returned to new york and fairbrother boarded his launch the diamond really was in new york and to him it seemed more politic to use it as a means of securing mr gray's permanent silence than to fly the country leaving a man behind him who knew his secret and could precipitate his doom with a word he would therefore go to new york 
play his last great card and if he lost be no worse off than he was now he did not mean to lose but he had not calculated on any inherent weakness in himself had not calculated on providence a dish tumbled and with it fell into chaos the fair structure of his dreams with the cry of gritzel gritzel he gave up his secret his hopes and his life there was no retrieval possible after that the star of abner fairbrother had set mr gray and his daughter learned very soon of my relations to mr durand but through the precautions of the inspector and my own powers of self-control no suspicion has ever crossed their minds of the part i once played in the matter of the stiletto this was amply proved by the invitation mr durand and i have just received to spend our honeymoon at darlington manor end of chapter twenty three part two End of The Woman in the Alcove by Anna Catherine Green Read by Jen Broda